Yes, there is a disadvantage in being uh, African-American owned business in some industries. But if you can manage through that, I think you become a better business person. So you think the Democratic Party cares about black people? Believe it or not, Rex, I think that tweet is part of the problem. Do you feel like we could have addressed this homeless issue much sooner? If you have to speak a word, make it a good one. Welcome back to The Word once again. I am Jackie Ray. I am excited. We have an office here in downtown Long Beach. I don't get to meet people that often around the building, but happens to be in our very building, next door neighbor, has happens to be a Black-owned business called Camp Nova. Very beautiful office, one of my favorite colors all throughout the office, which is purple, so I thought they had a Prince affiliation. I went over there and found out that they did not, but it's a fascinating company. We're going to learn a little bit more about them, what they do, and what they have upcoming down the line. So I'm just going to let you guys introduce yourselves. We have somebody, this is our first time doing it like this too, having one person in person and one person on Zoom. So we we doing things out yeah, here. We're so, work it out. Yeah, so Marvin, you want to introduce yourself first? My name is Marvin Wilcher. I am the CEO of Camp Nova. Yeah, I am uh, Emery Morrison. I am the CMO and uh, co-founder with Marvin. So CMO is? Chief Marketing Officer. Chief Marketing Officer. Okay. Yeah. And so when did Camp Nova, when did this idea kind of give a little spark in, I'm assuming it was your mind, right, Marvin? Or It was Emery's and mine, but Emery, go ahead. I think we got to take it back a couple of years before the actual spark. Oh, okay. Me, my Mar Marvin and myself, we were actually putting together a mobile phone, a device. Um, and it was basically kind of like a Beats by Dr. Dre version of a cell phone. So so it was, it was like basically lifestyle, celebrity-based phone, you know, culture-driven, all of that stuff. We went through the process of signing a deal to get our phone manufactured by HTC. At that time, Google bought out the phone division of HTC. And then we only had the ability to manufacture 100,000 phones, which killed the business model. You can't only have 100,000 phones. And so the, the phone was basically, you take the device, and this is 2016, 2017, and you do partnerships with people like, let's say you put out a Jay-Z phone or a Justin Bieber phone, and you everything have everything circular around that in that phone. And then we do multiple partnerships with different celebrities and influencers for this device. That was our plan that we built out. We met with a lot of companies that were interested. We met with Sony. We met with ZTE. They were highly interested, but then they got kicked out of the U.S. And then we met with Huawei. They got kicked out of the U.S. We met with a company from China called Lieko. They spent billions of dollars and went belly up. Uh, and then we got with HTC and it was like, yo, this is dope. And we were moving forward and then, you know, money talks and you know what happens, walks. And so the business model was killed at that time. That sounds like an amazing idea, though, because I feel like, you know, Thomas and I, anytime we go on a shoot, there's yeah. been times where I walk away with his phone and he walks away with mine because there's no individuality in these phones anymore. But I yeah. feel like with this, yeah. that would have been, it would have been all individuality, right? It would have been individuality, uh, you know, catered around the celebrities and their vibes and their energy and what their consumers and their fan base 
are interested in and sort of been really dope and custom and it's all good it's all good i mean you know we we you know we fell down and we got back up and then we moved into right then we transitioned right into the cannabis space okay so how do you go from let's make these custom phones to cannabis I'm going to let Marvin take over from here <laughs> on what happened okay. on his farm, his ranch in Northern California. Okay. So go ahead, Mar. So, you know, many years ago, I bought a ranch here in Northern California and uh, have been using the ranch just for, you know, fun and games. So right around the time that that happened, um, back in like 20, late 2016, late, early 2017, uh, one of my neighbors around here, he, he's a real black cowboy, one of the few that still exists, but he's like legitimate. He came over and he said, Marvin, I've got these guys who uh, grow cannabis and I want them off my property because I lease my land out to some German company. And I want to know if you would be willing to take them on. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa slow down, guy. Like, hey, I, I don't want to do anything illegal, right? Like, you know, it, we already have enough challenges in life without that kind of stuff. So I, I'm like, tell me about this. Is this legit? He said, oh, no, no, this is legit. Blah, blah, blah. I explained it all. It's like, well, I don't know. I said, well, how much land do they need? He said, they need about four acres. I said, okay. You know, my property is 20 acres, so that's plenty of space available. And I said, how long? He said, about, you know, four or five months. I said, okay. How much are they going to pay? He said, $80,000. I said, okay. I got vacant land <laughs> sitting out there with the only thing on it is deers coming in and out and turkeys. You know what? Why don't we go ahead and do this $80,000 deal? So that was sort of the beginning. From there, what we ended up doing is we went to the next level and we started saying, okay, look, just to make sure this is fully legal, why don't we get all of the guys local and let's check with the county and see. So we went to the county, talked to them, and they said, look, if you've got this plan where you're going to bring these guys in and get them registered and get them certified, we can make it legal. We did that. And the next thing you know, we ended up with the licensing for nine companies, right? We had literally nine cannabis licenses. And that was very early in the legitimacy stage in, Cal in California. So I was like, okay, you know, let me bring my partner in, Emery. Come on, Emery. And uh, so we started talking about figuring out how we could do this. And then we sort of started setting up shop. And, and ironically, one of the first things we did in that process is we signed Lamar Odom to his own brand. So it, it segued in from what we were doing, which was sort of the celebrity stuff. It segued in to what the next phase, which was celebrity in cannabis. So we did that. We sort of built that out. We worked in cannabis a couple of years. And then I think we got to a certain point and we were like, okay, you know what? We're, it's time for us to pivot again. So now I'm going to let Emery pick back up and take in from here. When, when when Marv started getting the licenses together with our black cowboy friend, shout out to Cleveland. His name is Cleveland. I love that. <laughs> yeah, and he a real cowboy. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of recognized at that time that it's all going to become branded products, just like anything out there. You know, you got Anheuser-Busch or Miller pumping out all kind of beer, and then you brand the beer and market it. So from that perspective, we were just looking at, okay, how can we separate ourselves? So we started running a cannabis business, delivery service, servicing a lot of Northern California and started servicing Southern California. And that company was called Camp Green. And then my background is marketing and branding. 
and doing partnerships with celebrities and rolling out marketing plans that actually appeal to the lifestyle consumer. So then an idea popped in my head of, com of thinking of Fashion Nova and combining Fashion Nova with Camp Green and hence Camp Nova, right? But that's the idea then. Then we took that idea, wrote down the plan of how we build this out, and it was basically like everybody wanted to have a cannabis brand. They still do. And it was sexy and it was cool. And so we signed Lamar, went through that process and learned a lot, started working his brand. And then we took what we learned in the delivery service and said, okay, Uber Eats meets Fashion Nova meets Amazon. We sign the deals, develop the deals. We then get the product, deliver it direct to consumer. But what we also found in the process was a lot of celebrities and entertainers don't have infrastructure. They have fame, but they don't know how to execute. And so we saw that that service is there as well. So some of the brands, we would do partnerships where we would build from the ground up, like a Lamar Odom, or we would take over a brand like we did with 2 Chains and Gary Vee with the gas cannabis brand. And we integrate that into our service. But then there are other companies that may be distributing someone like a Bella Thorne or an Ice Cube or a Carlos Santana that we could use and bring through our platform. So at that time, we started building our platform, Camp Nova, the platform, and then using our delivery service as the mechanism to get it to consumers. Okay, I have a few questions. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I think the first one is one that I, I feel like anybody who's been in the cannabis world at all is probably the first thing that popped in their head. Number one, the cannabis industry has not been equitable when it comes no. to black people. There's still black people in jail right now. 100%. Um, that for things that white people are making a ton of money off of. Yes. And, and in that, here in Long Beach specifically, and this is nationwide as well, the opportunity for black people to make the same amount of money as their Caucasian counterparts is not always presented. We The hoops that we have to jump through are, are much wider, it seems like. So how did you guys kind of overcome that and get in there in a way that other, other African-Americans have not been able to? So you have social equity programs that they give licenses to and everybody thinks it's the golden ticket. Mm -hmm. But you got and you qualify for that social equity license. Does that mean that you're qualified to run a business or does that mean that you're educated to run a business? You also have, I want everybody to think about this. When in the history of the United States or any country has government set up programs that actually help businesses thrive? It's It's... Usually, there's all these hurdles that you got to go through. And so when you talk about problems within the cannabis industry or any industry with regulations and setting up, just because you got a license doesn't mean... I mean, there was folks who got licensed in LA and Southern California that had to wait around three years before they were able to even open up shop. That means you got to go and sign agreements and then everybody thinks that you're a drug dealer so they're charging you hella price right like this a dollar fifty a square foot and oh you do a cannabis it's five dollars a square foot right so you're starting out struggling and this is what's happening in the cannabis space at the beginning um when you looked at what the state of california was offering or whispering about we're gonna have six thousand retailers you know how much we got today fourteen hundred 
for 40 million people. So it's a struggle when you're building brands. So to circle back what you said, and Marv, you could chime in as well. Um, it wasn't set up properly for anybody, let alone black folks. Yeah, and, and what's been happening is that problem that California had, I mean, we give California's props for stepping up front, but that problem has been echoing across the country, right? So almost all of the states have been trying to manage the regulatory environment on their own, and they've released these different set of rules. And in many cases, they're trying to give advantages in an environment to African-Americans, minorities, or whoever their preferential program is. And unfortunately, it has set a lot of African-Americans up for failure because the failure is not coming from necessarily the lack of opportunity. The failure is coming from the fact that the government created a program, encouraged those disadvantaged people to take their last dime and step up, they did. And then the problem, as Emory pointed out, in a regulatory environment means that, you know, here we are, right? We're now back to a scenario where not only are you typically in a disadvantage to try to do a business, but then the government has piled on more disadvantage with the regulatory environment. So ironically, it's worked even further against African-Americans than it would actually in a normal situation because there have been so many who've gone to their wives and the wives of the husband and said, hey, look, I think we can do well here. Let's step up. The rules are sort of slanted in our favor for the moment. And then they step up and then the government basically has created a sort of a, a catastrophe. And now what you're seeing is a lot of these companies, African-Americans, and non that are really facing turmoil and financial ruin. And so, so in a way, this did not work out well for African-Americans so far. So how have you guys managed to make it work? Is it because you, you're so versatile in your branding? It's because of all your background experience in business? Or what was the key in really? I think, I think to answer that, going with what you just said, I, first of all, we are business people, mm -hmm. right? So while we are optimistic, and we'd like to take advantage to some degree of the programs, our licensing had nothing to do with being Black. Mm -hmm. We came in as a regular contractor, not taking advantage of those licenses of, of core minorities, and we just stepped up as regular business people. Because we are business people, we already had some clarity about odds, statistics, and what's necessary to succeed. Right. So we didn't come in at the sort of disadvantage that, hey, you're black, you're you're a minority, whatever. Here's a license. Oh, my God. We've never been in business. But guess what? We're going to make it big. We weren't faced that. Mm -hmm. And so we had standard business experience. We took that experience, marketing skills, we built a team and then we started building a business. All right. So my other question, thank you so much for that answer. That's actually very enlightening because it seems like sometimes that leg up is actually not beneficial. Um, you just got to go the regular route. But then when I hear the name Lamar Odom, I think he the last person should be doing weed, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we got introduced to Lamar by a good friend of mine, uh, 
Marcus Malone. And Marcus played college ball and then he knew Lamar's uh best friend, uh, Greg. And so what we did know, just as far as branding goes, we knew that Lamar had a fan base, not only from the Lakers, but also the Kardashians. So he has a lifestyle sports fan base, which is extraordinary. And we know Lamar has had his issues, but at the same time, that fan base was very loyal. We knew that Lamar, along with almost every NBA player that I've met, low-key or not, smoked weed, right? They've been smoking weed for years. Yeah, it's uh, all the smoke podcasts, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but even before, you know, everybody was talking about it before the NBA cleared it, the MLB or NHL, they were all smoking weed, you know. And so we just took it as the hardest part with marketing and branding is first getting attention. Then you better have an exceptional product and a brand you can build. So we created the Rich Soil brand with Lamar. And while it lasted, it was fantastic. Lamar had people showing up, people buying product, and we were doing going from location to location. And, you know, it was an interesting drop, and we had a lot of financial success at first. All right, so then, but you're in way more than the, just the weed space now. Yeah, so so here's what happens. While Marv is talking about all the difficulties and all this is going on, we're looking at each other like, okay, yo. We're going to diversify this because we can see how this is going. When you're relying on the government to execute on certain things, and then, you're, and then when you're signing a celebrity and you got a brand like gas from 2 Chains, and you got everybody from Atlanta calling you, trying to get you to ship weed to them in Atlanta, mm -hmm. and we know that's illegal. So we're like, we're not doing that. And that told us there was a business model for us outside of cannabis or a product that we could ship nationally. So we started saying, okay. Let's keep a little bit of cannabis, but let's start diversifying what we can do, you know, beauty products, you know, consumer packaged good products, electronics, multiple areas. We proved our business model of how we built it. Now let's diversify and get with other celebrities, entertainers and do partnerships where we can fulfill this throughout the country or worldwide. So a lot of people think sometimes you, you can grow too fast and it ends up being a problem. You don't feel like you're diversifying too fast? Um, I mean, that all depends on supply and demand and how your infrastructure is set up. Uh, we learned a lot. We had growth periods that were very hard that we had to grow internally. And there's little idiosyncrasy type of things that's happening uh, multiple websites going on, how they work together, how your call center works together, how you work with multiple, when you have a talent or working with multiple talent, how you work with the agent, how you work with their manager. What you got to do, and this is us as a minority-owned company that hasn't received investment, building this up from our bootstraps of saying when the opportunity comes, you better go get it because somebody else is going to go get it. So we can't think about are we growing too fast. We got to think about executing. And that's what we think about every day and that opportunity because a lot of times we don't have opportunities. And then there's also a time period. There's a time period when something is hot lifestyle-wise that you got to take advantage of that time period and where you can create opportunities for yourself and your team and your family and you take advantage of that time period and execute. So weed is still part of um, Camp Nova, yes, or, 
Uh, we're not doing any licensed cannabis products okay. right now. We're doing hemp-based products, if any, okay. uh, which is legal under the Farm Bill so that mm -hmm. we can make a, a hemp product under 0.3% and be able to ship it throughout the whole United States. Mm. That's our focus right now. Also, there's lingering issues going on with the, the rescheduling or descheduling of cannabis, and also the Farm Bill is up again. Who knows how they're going to vote on mm -hmm. that to make it, um, you know, whether hemp is legal, whether they change the percentage on it. So, you know, we backed off from that and we do have a couple of products. We we partnered up with a with a local Los Angeles liquor company and created a hemp-based gummy line. And the brand is called Dizzle. This is a black-owned company. And they created their brand during COVID. And they came to us as some brothers from the entertainment business, uh, Chris Roker and Livio Harris and, uh, and, and Mike Dizzle, which it comes from. And we created uh, a gummy line off of that. So let me just say, uh, Tim Grobeity. We talk about Tim Grobeity on this show a lot because he's okay. always just around. But he uh, he grabbed me and took me over to Camp Nova's office. I think it was like two weeks ago yes. or so. And uh, you guys gave me a bourbon that I did yes. not crack open until my housewarming party. Okay. And let me tell you, after making about two old fashions, I was like, let me go ahead and hide this. Because <laughs> I don't want these people drinking up all my good bourbon. There you go. <laughs> But it was so good. I don't remember yeah. the name of it. So so the bourbon is a collaboration. We collaborated with um, a woman-owned business out of South Carolina. Shout out to Pixie Paula, uh, Stripe Pig Distillery. And we created our brand internally, which is called the Gangsters and Lovers Bourbon. Oh, that makes sense. Because yeah. it hits you. It's kind of gangster. There you go. But it's good. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I love it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Are you a gangster or are you a lover? It depends on the situation. Okay, right. I'm with you. I'm with that that I I was so excited to be able to share that that bourbon with people. I was like, hey, this is something you probably have never had before. It's not uh, released yet. That's so what I told them, yeah. and they were like, well, what is it? And I was like, I'm just gonna let you taste it first. And so now <laughs> I know everybody in my circle of friends wants a bottle. <laughs> there we go. It will be available soon. When do you know the release date we're, on that? We're building up to it. We've been doing little, you know parties all our cases that we got right now is all around marketing and building the brand from the foundation folks like you that enjoy it um you know we've been meeting with a lot of folks within the entertainment industry a lot of actors and writers have had a lot of spare time so we've been letting yes, them taste have. it and try it <laughs> so no mm -hmm. yeah so it's no release date yet but we're filling it out at this time so obviously both of you have to have some connection to the entertainment industry to to foster some of these partnerships. Can you tell me some of your background as far as that goes? So for myself, um, I started out, my whole foundation is hip hop, right? I started out as an artist. Me and my cousin had a group called DZAC Clan back in the day, and we were one of the first independent artists to have a major liquor endorsement deal. So this kind of started the marketing and understanding what's going on here in Southern California. We had this group that was like hip hop and singing and that kind of stuff. And so at that time, a guy came to us with a product that was shipped from Korea and we started branding this liquor and we signed a deal with them. And we didn't just take all the money up front. We took residuals from it. And then that, that came with understanding the marketing and the power. So because we would remember how Tupac would with market, um, you know, Hennessy and Alize, but he didn't get paid from it, but they blew those brands up. So we took that and then we gathered a bunch of hip hop acts from across the US and started pushing that brand uh, called KU, KU, 
uh, and that's a Lotte product. Lotte is out of uh, South Korea. And so from there, just being around LA and around entertainers and stuff, that taught me the mindset of marketing and branding and seeing what worked and then just networking out there. Then you start to do contracts. And then at that time, it's probably like 2008, we had um, connected with a team out of China that showed us a mobile device and they said, hey, we want you guys to create, you know, pop culture content on this mobile device and we're going to be launching with Sprint. And what they meant by pop culture really was black culture, hip hop culture throughout the world. We said, yeah, fine. And then 30 days later, they was like, yeah, you ready? We need 40 episodes. And so we launched Sprint TV with them, with a channel that we built. And then that gave us connections back to the entertainment business with creating content and distributing and that kind of stuff. So that's where it all started with marketing and branding from a mobile side. So my background really has been mergers and acquisitions. And I have done mergers and acquisitions for more than 25 years, right? I bought many different types of businesses. So this is quite a while back, but uh, I had read an article about uh, various people in the music business. So I called one of my uh, brokers up and I said, hey, look, I'm interested in buying a music company. Uh, why don't you find me one? He said, okay. So about three days later, he called me back and he says, uh, Marvin, I think I found one for you. And I said, okay, tell me a little bit about it. He said, yeah, it's in, it's in LA. It's doing about $100 million in sales. And you think you might be interested? I said, yeah, absolutely, I'm interested. So proceeded to go meet with the owner. We sort of romanced each other, had a great time, and then bam, closed the deal and bought the music company. At that time, we almost, I almost immediately became the largest black-owned music company because our sales were at 100 million, which is you know the same at the time that uh, a lot of other top ones like Death Row or whatever in the same dollar amount range were. And, and I ran that company, and that was my first introduction to the music business. I didn't, literally had no connectivity other than, you know, playing good music, you know, back in the day. So your backgrounds are so diverse. Is it, yeah. do you guys come, sometimes sit back and when you really think about Black-owned businesses, do you go, yeah, you know what, we've, we've done this? Well. Kind of pat yourself on the back a little bit? Not yet. We still got a lot of we got a lot of we got a lot of wealth to build. Gotcha. We we are a black owned business. But the way that I grew up in business, I just was taking advantage of business in general because in mergers and acquisitions, there are no bonus points for being a black owned business, right? Like you're gonna either come up with the money and you're gonna create a relationship with you and the guy who's selling you the business, or or you're not. And yes, black. Being black is a disadvantage if you can't cross the bridge of building relationships. So when you when you go down that path, then what happens is being a black owned business doesn't necessarily have any advantages. So you don't look to those advantages, nor do you worry too much about the disadvantages because you can't have that negativity or you know chip on your shoulder or whatever they want to call it. You got to just say, I'm a business. I'm qualified just like any other business. I'm a businessman. I understand how to, you know, finance something. I know how to hire people. I know how to manage people. I know how to work with my suppliers and my customers. And at the end of the day, I'm a business person. Now, yes, the net result is we are African-American-owned businesses. But I think before anything, 
we're just business people. My brother used to own a, a cannabis place in Colorado. It was he had the largest uh, grow house in Colorado for a long time, and he ended up selling it because he just would see like the legalities would hit him, but they wouldn't hit you know the people down the street. And I and I like what you said because I think for him he just got tired of you know constantly because you know especially in Colorado you can see what the difference is. It's not because in the way that they're doing business or the licenses or anything like that. But I think if maybe he had had that mindset that you just talked about where he was just like, you know what, I just can't let this negativity dwell. Let's on to the next, you know, and I think that's an important aspect that I think sometimes we overlook. Yeah, your, your state of mind. Look, you, you realize that the world has dealt you a certain hand. Accept the hand that you got dealt and you play the game the best you can play it. Now, the challenge is always this. Being who I am and whatever hand that I've been dealt, how do I grow to make that either an advantage or certainly less of a disadvantage, right? That's really what it ends up being. And I had to learn that many years ago because there were times, I mean, listen, we could do a whole nother show on story about what happens if you're African-American, right? I I remember a company I was going to buy, the deal was basically done. It was a company doing about 70 million and the guy wanted 16 million. I said, I'll give him the money. No problem. And then when he discovered that I was black, he said, absolutely, I will not sell you the business. Right. Now, if you're thinking that that's the pathway that I'm going to face and now I need to sort of bail, then you know what? <laughs> you're not going to overcome the things that might create either a better you as a business person. Or actually, you might run across an opportunity that that disadvantage is actually an advantage and be able to take advantage of that. So so I've kind of, and Emory has done the same thing. We've kind of scratched that off. We know who we are. We know what hand we've been dealt. And we don't try to walk around with the mindset that we're aware of it. Because guess what? I think relationships still get down to something like that guy I like and that guy I don't like. I think it does get down to that many times. That Yes, there is a disadvantage in being uh, African-American-owned business in some industries. But if you can manage through that, I think you become a better business person. Yeah, agreed. So what else? I know um, Natalie, she works with you guys as well. She came over. I like mushroom coffee. Yeah, that's a that's a product that's, uh, that we're dropping. We, we got three SKUs with that. We got... Um, Cordyceps and Lion's Mane, which gives you focus and energy. Then we got uh, Seven Mushrooms, which is immunity and overall health benefits. Then we got Rishi and Turkey Tail, which is immunity and stress. And is, is there actual, because I think Mudwater doesn't actually have coffee We in do it, have right? coffee in ours. Okay. Yeah, okay. It, it tastes like coffee. Um, it is coffee. And then we have uh, organic. Everything's organic about that product. is USDA organic. Uh, and then we have the mushroom powder in there. Um, so, yeah, it's a good product. Um, and it makes you feel good. It gets you where you need to go. We have to be able to create opportunities so that when you have an opportunity to hire, you give us and other people that look like that opportunities. That don't mean that you hire them every time, but you got to build wealth and opportunities to give us opportunities. Sometimes we walk into an office and, you know, a company 
CEO would hire me to come in and do a contract with them to help them learn how to do marketing and branding and don't tell their CMO. So I'm coming in at that level and I don't see nobody like us, but they want that lifestyle and they want that culture. What people see outwardly, they see the culture, but they ain't got nobody on the back end making decisions to build and create opportunities. Who's the marketing person? Who's this? Giving us multiple opportunities. Of course, you hire the best people you can get, but you don't skip over the names when the resumes come and you give them opportunities. That's kind of like our mindset right there. Yeah, and that's what we all need to have. You know, yeah. it's going to take us to lift us. That's Absolutely. Kind of, kind of my Absolutely. Motto, so. I think you guys, so, okay, we've got the mushroom coming. We know yep. we got the bourbon. As soon as the bourbon comes out, let me just be in a whole 100%. commercial. I'm, I got my whole Colt got 45 voice ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Billy D. So let me, yeah, my mama loves some Billy D. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let me go ahead and do that. So you got the bourbon, you got the coffee. Yeah. Um, what else can people look forward to? Um. I think people can look forward to dope lifestyle technology integrated with products that is going to push the button. And really, instead of people just hiring us and exploiting our lifestyle, we actually own part of our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Tupac's mama said, it's okay to be exploited as long as you compensate it. Yeah. So. We create wealth opportunities and growth opportunities. That's our goal right there. And we're going to create some dope products that's better than everybody else, but the lifestyle that everybody wants. Where can people follow, be a part of the journey? If they've got an idea, can they pitch something to Absolutely. you? Absolutely. I mean, if you want to pitch something to us, go to info at campnova.tv and send us an email. We check all of them. Um, if you want to connect with me and Marvin, our Instagram is LinkedIn because that's where the checks yeah. are made and cut. So reach out to us on LinkedIn. I'm Emery Wolf Morrison. And then you got Marvin Wilche. I think I said it right. Wilche. Wilche. German. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, look, first of all, I really appreciate that you came over and, and talked with us. And there is going to be a point here. I, I want to start this podcast i've been waiting up on it. it's called marvin knows and i really have a bunch of stories that i want to share with entrepreneurs about how you can overcome like big challenges and some of the experiences that i've had Emory and i've had a lot of experiences together and i want to share those so that's coming up soon we're going to let you know and uh, we'll kind of roll. I am definitely excited to share this journey with you guys. I feel like you guys are going to come on and share other things that you're Absolutely. working on. I am excited for this partnership and thanks for taking the time. Thomas and I, who is our uh, uh, video producer, we're about to crack open this mushroom coffee right now. So, yes, it's about to happen. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And this was great. And don't forget, if you have to speak a word, make it a good one. We'll see you next time. Bye.